0: As day gave way to night on a cold evening in October 1971, a young woman stepped off a bus on Ferry House Road in County Meath. Her name was Una Linsky. She lived at the end of a quiet cul-de-sac about halfway down Porterstown Lane, a small farming community on the outskirts of Ratoth village. The walk home from the bus stop usually took her about 15 minutes 10 if she hurried. But on this night, Una never made it home, and to this day we still don't know what happened to her.
1: I just heard something coming behind and uh, I got a great look at him. Everyone started getting concerned then.
2: They came every night. They fired shots over our house. We were terrified.
1: He was pure mad. He was a lunatic. That's what he was. I was gone to a stage where I was actually afraid to tell the truth.
0: I'm Frank Graney, host of Inside the Crime, a News Talk original true crime podcast, and this is the story of the Una Linsky murder. It's been over 50 years since Una stepped off that bus, and what happened next would destroy families, ruin friendships, and tear an entire community apart.
3: She was just sweeping the floor and the phone rang. And it was a woman's voice on the phone. And the woman said. Do you want to know who really killed lensky Now this side is Aylin's house here. This, 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 our old house. House.
2: this is our old
0: house here. We're on Porterstown Lane. Sisters Katie and Anne Kerrigan grew up nearby. In an area known locally as the Bush, which is just off the Dublin to Navan Road, not far from Dunshocline. Katie is our driver for the day. Anne is seated in the back, directly behind her. As kids, they'd often be sent to Barron's shop for the messages bread, milk, the odd bale of briquettes, that sort of thing. Turn left onto the road to Dublin and you'll pass the County Club Bar and Restaurant. It's closed now, but it was a busy spot back in the day. The next left takes you onto Porterstown Lane. The Kerrigan sisters know it well.
2: I I, I honestly don't remember now whether I went down with them and turned or whether they dropped me here and they went and turned. They must have went with them, sure. Turned down at the next turn and came back to
0: me. Porterstown Lane is two and a half kilometres long. It's sandwiched between two busy roads, the Dublin Navan Road to the west, or the bottom of the lane, and Ferry House Road to the east, the top of the lane. Ferry House Racecourse, home to the Irish Grand National, is just a short trot up the road. Beyond that is the village of Rattowth. So we're
2: sort of going around in a circle. The whole yeah. thing, you'll notice now we're going up the Lane.
0: The narrow country road is quite built up nowadays. With lots of beautiful homes dotted along either side, but it was much quieter back in the 70s. It was your typical hard-working rural community where everybody knew everybody and you could always count on your neighbours if you needed them. In October 1971, Una Linsky had just turned 19 and was working with the Land Commission in Dublin City. She lived on a 92-acre farm with her family. Her parents, Patrick and Winifred Linsky, had 12 children and Una was the fifth eldest. Patrick moved to Porterstown from Belmullet in County Mayo in 1939. He and Winifred, or Winnie as she was known, got married nine years later. Like Patrick, Winnie was also a relative newcomer, but she had lots of family around her. Her brother, Pat Gohan, lived on Ferry Road very close to where Una stepped off the bus that night. Another brother of hers lived even closer, right next door in fact. Anthony Gohan had 11 kids and the two large families were very close. porrick Gohan was one of those 11 cousins of Una's who grew up next door. Again, their houses were nicely nestled beside each other at the end of that long cul-de-sac, which is just past a sharp bend as you make your way down Porterstown Lane from east to west, or top to bottom, as the locals would say. Porrick and his wife Mary still live on the lane, and they've kindly invited us into their beautiful home.
1: Hi. Hi, Hi how, are how are you? How are you? Nice Good Good to put a face to the lane from you. Yeah. Sling,
3: Frank. 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 Thanks for having us, lovely to
0: meet you. No problem, I'd like to have You just go in there, sitting
3: around there. In this way? Perfect.
1: It was just great to live here because it, it was the country and uh, we didn't have that much. My father, was uh, he was did a little bit of market gardening, but uh, dairying was the big thing. We had the stock of cows and um, we grew our own vegetables. We would have been involved with Ireland football from a young age. Um, I think I was playing around seven, eight, and that was a big thing. And that was a big thing for Linsky's Next Door because... We played together. Growing up with them was great. I would call them my best friends. We went everywhere together at that time. Uh, Hunting was a big thing for us out out in the fields. Um, This area here from, say, from the main road to the Ferry House Road, it was just a farming area, all small farmers. Everyone knew each other. Everyone got on. There was no problems that time. Uh, we were great neighbours.
0: And w- what about Una then? She, as you guys were around about the same age, would you have spent much time in, in her company? What are your memories of, of Una growing up?
1: Well, I would have been backing over to the house. Would have known them all. Got on well with them. Una, um, Maureen. And they were just part and parcel of, of our um, row there and we went back to them they went back to us we probably didn't go too far down the road uh, <laughs> there was enough going on between the two families Did yourself and Una go to the same school? We would have went to the same school we would have went to thought uh, National School and then when the Bush School opened uh, we went to the Bush School and as far as I know Una and the, the rest of them went there too
0: um, How would you have described her personality growing up? Una was probably shy, but that
1: I, I don't know whether that would have bothered anyone. She was a normal person grown up, lovely looking girl and good personality and everyone got on well with her.
0: As Porrick says, with so many siblings and cousins to pal around with, he didn't have much cause to stray too far from their quiet cul-de-sac. But if he had, he would have bumped into his future wife, Mary Conmey. She lived just five minutes away. And like Porrick, she also has fond memories of growing up on Town Lane.
3: Porrick's mother and my mother were very good friends. And Porrick's mother would have been someone who would have visited our house. We had television before anyone else. <laughs> and, get the dig uh, in, Get the dig in, Yeah. <laughs> And I always remember Friday evenings, the Rileys, it would have been, well, they would come on a Friday evening because Hitchcock was on, Thriller, I think it was called, and that was a treat. And going home then, it'd be nighttime day to walk down the road, and my father would tease them, you know, because Hitchcock always ended like, you know, it left you kind of wondering... And he would have them frightened, going down, because there was a, a well just down the road there, and my dad had kind of teased them about. So oh, if you, you have to get past that well, like your fellow will be waiting in there. But it was, it was lovely, you know, that they came to our house, and I I always liked that that they were free, felt free to come in, and also people. If somebody was up in Ferry House or a all, they would come down the lane so far and then they would cross our fields and come out through our yard and out the gate. I remember being, say, having our tea or something in the kitchen and you just see them walking through. And I just always liked that our farm was a shortcut for mm-hmm. people. Um, people visited at night as well. It was kind of when the farm work was done and... Mm-hmm. But also during the day, um, I often think we were so privileged growing up because we would both parents at home. They were there all the time. Like, you know, my dad, he'd be working, but he'd be just out in the farm, the fields, the sheds. But we would both parents there. I loved being in the country. I did love that.
0: Porrick and Mary's memories of growing up on Town Lane paint a picture of an idyllic childhood for them both. It was a safe place. Front doors were rarely locked during the day, and back doors were also left on the latch so neighbours could let themselves in. It was quiet and peaceful. But that peace was forever shattered not long after Una Linsky stepped off that bus just before seven o'clock on the evening of the 12th of October 1971. At roughly the same time, on the bottom end of Porterstown Lane, Porrick's bus dropped him off as he too made his way home from Dublin.
1: I would have got off the bus at around, um, I think five to seven. There was two buses, one for Coote Hill and there was one for At Bay. So both of those buses, was about five minutes
0: between them. And this bus, Porik, would have dropped you off, we'll say, at the west side of the the lane, whereas Una stepped off a bus on the opposite side to the east?
1: Yeah, she would have got off the bus um, on the Ferrius Road, um, roughly probably around the same time, you know, give or take a few minutes. The bus I got off, I think there was roughly about four or five of us, and I would have, yeah, I would have walked up the road with my neighbours, and our cousin Anne would have been on that uh, bus with her, and uh, they would have got off together, and Una would have walked down the road on her own.
4: Yes, that was the entrance, you, went, you drove in there into the shop, and that's where McKeown was parked, outside the
0: shop, the We're back in the car with Katie and Anne. As Porrick mentioned a moment ago, Una got off the bus with her cousin, Anne Gohan, just like she did every day. The two were very close. In fact, Una used to take the Dunshockland bus to and from work, but when Anne got a job in Dublin too, she switched to the Ratoth bus.
2: Now, that's where we would have got off the bus. I think there's a, a bus stop there now at the minute. Can, just bus- yeah, see where, can you see the bus stop there?
0: it's the still there. I can, yeah. That's yeah, that's the same bus it, stop you got off. It actually
2: wasn't there at the time, but that's, it was around there stopped.
0: Gohan's house is where Anne lived with her family. Her brother, John Gohan, lived next door with his wife and their two children.
4: We get off the bus there bus over a barn's shop and sometimes we'd get a lift and sometimes we'd walk down.
0: After finishing work at half past five that evening, Una hurried to bus Oris to make the six o'clock bus home. She got there with minutes to spare. Anne was already on the bus. She'd kept Una a seat and they chatted all the way home. Una seemed distracted. She confided in Anne that she'd been to the doctor and wasn't having a good time at home. She was also having a bit of boy trouble. At the time, Una was seeing a local lad called Paddy Kelly. He was her first boyfriend, and she was mad about him. They met at her sister's wedding the previous October. For the most part, their relationship was good. Paddy was a salesman, so he had a car, an Austin A40, and they'd often go on long drives together. Like most young couples at the time, they also enjoyed going to the pub for a drink and a sing-song, as well as dance halls and the pictures at the weekends. Paddy loved buying her gifts, jewellery mostly. For Christmas, he got her a gold, heart-shaped watch. The following Easter, he gave her a signet ring with a red stone. Una cherished them both, and she wore them every single day. However, Despite their obvious feelings for one another, the couple faced an uncertain future because of Una's parents. Here, Mary explains why.
3: They didn't approve of him. You know, that he wasn't kind of good enough for her. And the fact that she went to the doctor on the Monday evening and, like, I think she didn't want to go to the doctor. The doctor, I thought, was a man in his 70s. And he would have been someone, say, who'd be coming even to the house. Her grandfather was still alive. And, like, he didn't make house calls that time. And when you're young girl, you're 19, you really don't, you're going to, probably your first time maybe going to a doctor, you don't want to go to this old fella who's been in your house, like, and... So Paddy Kelly kind of said that he knew um, there's a doctor in swords. I think someone he knew sister or something was going to him. And so he suggested he'd bring her. So she went to the doctor, he brought her to doctor on Monday evening and they went for a drink afterwards. And But when Winnie Lansky found out that she was really annoyed with Una, that like he would no right to be bringing her to the doctor. So it was that kind of a a thing.
0: So Una was at the time she had confided in and gone that she was planning to maybe move into Dublin to get a flat in Dublin. Paddy was planning to move into Dublin. Mm. Her parents were aware of that and didn't approve.
3: No, it didn't approve. But I think she wanted to move because there was kind of rows. I think Winnie Lenski gave out to Paddy at some stage. And he, that's why he wanted to break it off with her.
0: Una was devastated at the prospect of breaking up with Paddy. He was her first love, and while he didn't want to call it off either, Paddy found it hard to see a future together without her parents' blessing. This was the Sunday, two days before Una went missing. She cried all night and couldn't focus at work the next day. In between sobs and the bus home, she told Anne, One of these days, I'll be gone. Una had been complaining of stomach pains for a while. A colleague of hers was worried about her. She knew she was unwell and thought she was a bit depressed. As Mary mentioned earlier, Paddy took Una to a clinic in Swords on the Monday, the day before she went missing. Afterwards, they went for a drink and had a long chat about their relationship. Paddy wanted to make it work and Una was delighted he felt that way. The next evening... As that bus trundled towards home on that fateful night, Una was in better form, but Anne felt she still wasn't her usual jolly self. Her mind was elsewhere. At one point, Una took out a bottle of medicine and some tablets. She dreaded going home that evening. She was still upset that her mother had words with Paddy. As they neared their stop, the conversation turned to an upcoming dinner dance. Paddy had agreed to go with Una, and she was anxious to get home to book tickets. She also had to make arrangements to have her dress altered. She was going to wear the same bridesmaid dress she was wearing when she first met Paddy. The journey home took just under an hour. Anne had no doubt about the time they got off the bus. Seven minutes to seven, exactly. Their stop was opposite Anne's house on Ferry House Road, The two cousins would usually chat for a bit before going their separate ways but there was a chill in the air that evening so they were eager to get in out of the cold. They said their goodbyes fully planning to see each other again in the morning and Una hurried off in the direction of Porterstown Lane. What happened in the next 15 minutes or so remains a mystery to this day. But what is certain is that Una didn't make it home. In fact she was never seen alive again. Here's Porik's recollection of those crucial minutes. Remember, he was making his own way home at the same time, from the other end, the bottom of the lane.
1: We came to uh, a bend, and uh, we just I just heard something coming behind, and we just stepped in, and uh, it would have been at the last seconds that... Uh, that I turned around and uh, I mean, I saw this car coming towards me, um, beautiful car, but the, that car was sort of up on, up on us before you heard no sound. So it just shows you how, I uh, showed you how new the car was and how clean and there was no, there was no noise out of it. Um, and that car just um, crept by us. It wasn't going fast. And I looked straight into the driver. I got a great look at him. Um, this was this middle-aged man, well dressed, suit, tie, um, well groomed.
0: And what happened next?
1: Well, I did hear. I mean, I, I thought I heard uh, a
0: scream. This was after was, the car had passed by. After
1: the car had passed by, I would have gone up probably a couple of hundred yards up the up the
0: road. You know. That sound, whatever you heard, didn't give you any cause for concern at the.
1: No, day. no, because I mean, I knew, I knew, uh, I would be fairly. Um, Familiar with the screaming of of rabbits and that, you know. So, I mean, I knew... I, that's what I thought it was that particular time. So, I didn't pass that much from Oxford.
0: Porrick assumed the scream he heard that night was the sound of a rabbit being caught by a fox in the nearby fields. But what if it was something far more sinister? Just a few hundred yards up the lane, his sister Kathleen had stopped to talk to a local teacher called Mary Collins. They went their separate ways not long after a car drove past them at speed and shortly after parting company, they both heard screams. Kathleen thought they were coming from the direction of the well, which was near a small bridge. She heard two or three screams, which in her words, sounded like a child getting a good beating. Mrs. Collins also heard shouting coming from across some fields, known locally as the Three Acres, which were located behind the bridge. She took it as the sound of a frightened person, and figured she heard it a few minutes after the speeding car drove up the lane, roughly seven minutes past seven. Looking back, Mrs. Collins thought that car was going way too fast for a narrow country road. She was with her baby and had to pull the pram out of its path. She described it as a large car, brown in colour, maybe a Ford Zephyr. Kathleen also thought it was a dark coloured Zephyr fairly new as far as she could tell this must have been the car that passed Porrick a few moments beforehand so I asked him if he could tell what make and model it was and just specifically in relation to the car then had you seen that car before had you seen a car like that on the street before
1: no not not here not uh, not in our area um, most of the cars I uh, think would have been old. Clapped out things, you know. People couldn't afford new cars at them. Not here. Uh, they're all small farmers.
0: Did you have any idea what type make model of a car it was? I wouldn't
1: have been into cars. I mean I didn't know uh, I would have I would have known the make. I didn't know whether it was a zephyr or a zodiac.
0: Porek could be forgiven for not knowing whether the car he saw that evening was a zephyr or a zodiac. They were very similar. Both were made by Ford the Zodiac was the more luxurious of the two. From the outside, the Zephyr was sleek and understated, while the Zodiac's exterior had a more eye-catching design with distinctive tail fins. That said, those differences wouldn't have been obvious at dusk on a cold October evening, certainly not to an untrained eye. The main difference between the two models were the lights. The Zephyr featured two headlights, while the Zodiac had four but according to Mrs Collins the car that sped by her didn't have its lights on so it was hard to tell Back at the Linsky's farmhouse Una's younger brother James wasn't long in the door after cycling home from work Una was expected home by ten past seven at the latest The walk home from the bus stop on Ferry House Road wouldn't have taken her more than that but there was no sign of her By now, it had started to rain, so her father, Patrick Linsky, went outside to move a load of potatoes into a shed to keep them dry. Winnie sent for him at roughly 7.45 to tell him Una hadn't returned home. At first, Winnie assumed it had something to do with her having words with Paddy. She and Patrick headed out in the car looking for their daughter, while their nephew, John Gohan, drove over to Paddy's to see if she was with him. Paddy hadn't seen her since he dropped her home the night before. He grabbed his jacket and raced out into the night. Within the hour, almost everyone on Porterstown Lane knew Una was missing, and it didn't take long for panic to set in, as sisters Katie and Anne Kerrigan now remember.
2: There was a gathering there on the Porterstown Lane. Okay. Just the neighbours it would have be been at that
0: stage. And and you guys went out at one stage to just see what was going on and you were told that Ewing was missing. She hadn't come home from work. And clearly at a time when people didn't have mobile phones in their pockets and it wasn't as easy to get in touch, what was the feeling amongst people on the street that were out searching? Were people worried, concerned, frightened?
4: Yeah, they were. They were because it was unusual that she didn't get home from work at the normal time that she would be home at. Mm. So as time went on people were getting
0: worried as to what happened to her. And at that stage, Katie had it become clear that people had heard screams?
2: I'd say it was you know when um, Kathleen Gahan was one of the people that heard the screams. So naturally enough she would have told the family next door, the Linsky family that she heard the screams, you know. And other people. There was other people. Porrick then had seen somebody driving a car, and he would have given the description of that chap. And uh, yeah, there was lots of people. Lots of people seen that car that night. Yeah, it was a very frightening time because something like this had we
4: hadn't ever heard of anybody going missing like that, and uh, everybody was nervous and just wondering what did happen to
0: her. Unsurprisingly, the initial search focused on the Three Acres, the fields where many people heard screams coming from. As neighbours searched ditches, hedges and nearby streams and ponds, they shouted Una's name into the darkness. By 10 o'clock that night, the guards were on the scene. Porterstown Lane was a hub of activity, with the bright beams of flashlights bobbing and weaving their way through the pitch darkness. Mary, who was just 17 at the time, was doing her homework in her bedroom when she heard what was going on outside. Her family, the Conmies, lived just past the cul-de-sac where the Linskys lived.
3: I decided, mm, there seems to be something going on, I'll go over and see what's, what it is. And I crossed the field because that is the way we'd go. We wouldn't have walked around the road. And with lights from the sheds and that. And the cows, anyway, would have this path. So it was just easy to follow. It was was the quickest route. And you'd gate over there and you came out. And I remember coming out onto the lane and seeing my mother. And she was with Anne Lenski. That's something I remember. And Anne was standing with her arms folded. And my mother... Was had seen the car. She was one of the people that had seen the car and I presume she had told people that over there. Um, and my mother, I was my mother was kind of concerned for Una but Anne Lensky wasn't as concerned at all because she said no, no, I don't think anything has happened to Una. I think she's just run away.
0: Anne was... Una's older
3: sister? Older sister was married and living on the lane.
0: So she wasn't overly concerned that Una Not
3: not at that stage. She um, maybe she wasn't aware of like not everyone was aware of what other people had seen or heard at the at the beginning. And maybe Anne hadn't wasn't aware either. And I suppose you don't want to think anything terrible has happened to your sister anyway. But I do remember that our members and no, I don't think anything has happened to Una.
0: Una's older sister may not have been overly concerned at first but as more and more neighbours shared stories of what they heard and saw a sense of dread soon descended on the search party. One woman described hearing three frightened screams coming from the fields off Porterstown Lane just after seven o'clock. The first one was loud and long. The ones that followed became quieter and quieter until they faded away into the night. At roughly the same time, another man heard screeching while working in his back garden. He too thought it came from the general direction of the three acres. And while filling buckets of water from the pump across from where Una and Anne stepped off that bus, another man also heard screams coming from the same area. As far as he could remember, it was sometime between 7 and 10 past 7. If the timings were right, the screams, heard by multiple witnesses, were let out at the same time Una would have been walking home on her own. It wasn't looking good. And it started to look even worse when others came forward with more distressing accounts of what they saw that night. While milking the cows at about five minutes past seven, Mary's younger brother Sean looked across the fields to where a car was parked opposite an ESB pylon, not far from the bridge. A few minutes later, he too heard a scream coming from the three acres. Soon afterwards, he saw a dark shadow moving from the front of the car to the back, with a torch lighting its way. But the most disturbing piece of the puzzle was yet to come. Somebody saw a girl in the back of a large Ford car which was being driven at speed away from the lane there were at least two men in that car and one of them was trying to kiss her. The girl looked frightened. Between the screams and sightings of the suspicious car, the Linskys began to panic, especially when they heard about the frightened-looking girl in the car. Was it Una, they wondered. Had she been abducted? Who were the men in the car? And where were they taking her? In the next episode, we'll take a closer look at how the search developed.
4: Somebody took her. Somebody took her up that lane that night. She didn't deserve what happened to her.
0: As the days went by, the rumor mill gained momentum. Time was of the essence, and it wasn't long before the murder squad was called in.
4: And my parents didn't know. I didn't even have time to go into the house. I just just went with them. I hadn't a clue where I was going. The whole thing was like a bad dream.
0: With Una still missing, the people of Porterstown Lane felt unsafe in their homes. Front doors were locked day and night, back doors too. And then something happened that would change the lives of many of those living on the lane. Life, as they knew it, would never be the same again.
3: It was just to me a young lad wanting to help and the next memory i have of him is when he came in from trimgarte station
0: subscribe to inside the crime on the news talk app powered by go loud or wherever you get your podcasts We've also built a really useful website where you can find an easy to follow interactive map of Porterstown Lane as it appeared in 1971 with all of the landmarks relevant to this story clearly highlighted. You'll also find photos and other pieces of exclusive content at newstalk.com forward slash deeper inside the crime. We're really confident that someone out there knows something or saw something that could help advance Unalinsky's murder investigation. If you are that person, please contact the the Confidential Line on 1800 treble one. You can also email us at insidethecrime at newstalk.com. It's never too late. Inside the Crime was hosted by me, Frank Graney, produced by Ashleen Moore with sound mixing by Lachlan Hart. New episodes out every Tuesday.